This is Manifest Zone, the podcast that explores the breadth and depth of the world of Eberron. I'm one of your hosts, Wayne Chang. I'm Keith Baker. And I'm Imogen Jinchao. And in that, this episode, we'll be exploring and hopefully returning from the blasted, forbidden zone known as the Demon Wastes. Welcome back, everybody. Um, thanks for joining us. And uh, today, just as a couple of references, obviously, we've got, um, we've got a few things, a few uh, reading points for everybody there. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, writing, uh, Eberron Rising from the Last War has um, some information there. We've got to put a link in the show notes. Um, we've also got uh, that Keith Baker guy. He's got some stuff on Dragon Marks. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Um, uh, on Keith's side, obviously, we've got a few things. We've got a, an article um, the comparing the Demon Waste versus the Mornlands. Uh, we've got an article, obviously, about the Danger Demons, which obviously is very, very re- um, relevant to today's discussion. And um, also something about the Gashkala. Mm-hmm. And um, really, I think this is one of the, <clears throat> just kind of getting into it, one of the interesting points of this was we've we've created this whole, you know, you know, the setting was created, this, this whole nation. And then you got this little thing off to the side, like, hey, we've got this blasted wasteland there. And, mm-hmm. and um, kind of getting into that and, and just kind of getting into today's topic, you know, Keith, can you give us a little bit of background mm-hmm. on, on, on the demon waste? We, what, what happened here? Why is it there? Why um, is it there? <laughs> well, I mean, the thing about the demon waste, the thing to remember with Eberron is from the beginning, we described it as drawing on both themes of pulp adventure and noir intrigue. And the noir aspect often plays out in places like Sharn, in the Cold War between the nations. But we also, from the very start, wanted that pulp adventure, wanted people going on crazy adventures to dangerous places, unearthing ancient mysteries. And that is the role of the Demon Wastes. The Demon Wastes is ancient, unquestionably evil, holding treasures that are beyond the capability of mortals to create. And, you know, it falls into that sort of tropic character of places like Mordor, you know, that this is just a land of evil. And it also sort of spoke to the idea of the Age of Demons, that this is sort of one of the last places where you can still see or feel the remnants of these ancient powers. Um, and basically, you know, to a certain degree, even within Corvair, it's having a spot on the map where we're just saying people do not go here. Evil lives here. Mm-hmm. Here there be demons. <laughs> yes. And it's the same, you know, it's, it's, those old maps where they had that sea monster drawn in there and be like, beware. Sort of. Well, but see, it, it, I think that's an important point to, to play out because it's something that comes up often when I talk about the Church of the Silver Flame and saying, oh, you know, they, they do witch hunts or whatever. And we're like, oh, witch hunts, that's stupid and superstitious. And we're like, no, no, no. This is a world where not only are demons real, they're right over there. You know, that, that this is... Uh, We talk about the labyrinth. We talk about that there are dangerous powers that are trapped here. And the point is, if you don't believe in demons or Kyber or anything like that, well, just walk into the demon wastes and you'll see uh, that these powers and threats are very real. One of the things, uh, at least from my perspective, one of the things I've I've always seen is this is the scar of the 
land. This is the mm-hmm. this is the barren waste. This is the you know when when you do uh you know you're doing your own setting design, you you, you always create the the one area where it's like do not go there, do not see there. Right. Um, and one of the things I think early on when I was you know back in the early 2000s when you're trying to figure out the setting was uh, I'm trying to understand this you know this demon captured area and this is back when I thought oh this is where all of the overlords are banished to this mm-hmm, area mm-hmm. Uh, not knowing any better because um, right. well it's got to be right, in this right. area. it's, it's a reasonable place. assumption yeah um, and then finding out you know you're finding out more and more stories and more and more details about it um, but also sort of I, I me personally I, I don't I've never really used this area because well created a setting where there's a little too much stuff to use. So, <laughs> right. Well, and, and, so and I like operations. Okay. So, you know, down here, like yeah. they're, they're my babies to play with in the setting. But um, so, I mean, what's the, you know, you've given us a little bit about that, that background, but was, was this part of the original, was this part of your original um, ideas mm-hmm. uh, in the setting? Like when you yep. basically did the hundred page Bible. Now uh, there's a couple of different, you know, aspects to it. Uh, one of the things of you're saying, oh, you haven't really done much with it. I do think that it is a location like the plains where to a certain degree, we haven't really gotten into all of the aspects of it that make it really interesting to me. Um, we know that it's, it's, you know, bad, um, but that's why you have those dragon shards that uh, dragon marks that we link to in the show notes. Uh, it's just because, to me, I'm like, oh, we haven't really talked about what makes the Gosh Kala so interesting. We haven't really talked about, you know, the question that came up was, how is it different from the Mornland? You know, these are both weird magical wastelands. Why do I go to the Demon Wastes? And these are good questions. And so it's certainly something I'd love to, to write more about in the future. Um, but to go to the, the question, it existed in the 100-page Bible in a slightly different form, which is in uh, the Bible, uh, there was a continent that was actually essentially the demon wastes, where the entire continent was essentially sealed off by magic. And um, it was, you know, it still had that basic principle of the age of demons, of the overlords being bound. And it was saying, well, we have this whole continent that is just no one's been there for a hundred thousand years no one knows what's there and essentially translating that over to the demon wastes made it more accessible it let it be this is the active essentially headquarters where the the lords of dust meet and do their business which on a sort of practical level it's more useful for the players, whereas what I had in the original setting Bible was much more of a, this is a mystery the DM could sometime decide. We finally found a way to pierce the veil or, oh, it's suddenly come down and that's going to be a world-shaking thing. Uh, the Demon Waste, again, makes it a little more manageable. And it obviously does uh, provide a easy way for game masters to use demons, uh, you know, crazed uh, cult barbarians, things like that. And I think that's one thing that's that's worth just calling out, you know, with this point that it is a manifestation of evil in a setting that, that often doesn't uh, keep those things so clear cut, is that in Eberron, 
The rakshasa are the most common fiends. But what we have always said is any kind of fiend, devil, demon, whatever it is, could be produced by Kyber itself. And that the fiends of the outer planes, the demons of Shavarath, the devils of uh, you know Da'amvi, uh, generally don't actually, they aren't interested in the material plane. They aren't coming here to make infernal bargains. It's actually the fiends of Kyber that are, are they are the literal embodiments of evil in Eberron. And they are most commonly found in the demon waste. So if you just want to have a pit fiend or you want to do something like that, the demon waste gives you that place where that can happen. Imogen? Yeah, I think that's quite an important point to make as far as the demon waste are concerned. Um, Because I think a lot of DMs are going to be drawing on, well, as you mentioned before, tropes like Mordor and such. And if you want to set up a world-ending cataclysm, you know, demons marching out of some blasted wasteland, which is so prevalent in fantasy, you know, multiple series. Um, The demon wastes give you that. Um, But it also gives you that fun Eberron twist where um, instead of the orcs marching out alongside the demons, they're the ones keeping them in and they're the good guys. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Um, with the Gashkala, which I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about as we, uh, uh, as we talk right. about the and, waste. And, and that was also, I mean, it's just worth calling out that um, not necessarily in the, the hundred page Bible, but certainly in the, you know, the very early stages of the conversations uh, as we laid out the settings, you know, it was that basic point of saying uh, much like the gatekeepers, you know, this is another example where we're saying, oh, there are actually orcs who are guarding against evil that, you know, rather than just being uh, innately evil themselves. And in part, that was was mainly, you know, driven by this idea that the Gashkala are incredibly old. This is an ancient order and they are far older than humanity. So. I mean, right. Let's delve in. Before we go too far into talking about the denizens and talking about the people of this area, we know that the overlords ran wild hundreds of thousands of years ago all over Corbair. Mm-hmm. But now there's only one area left of this blasted wasteland. How did that come about? Maybe let's give the, the listeners a little bit of background mm-hmm. onto this this continent evolving that way. Right. I mean, the basic idea of it from the start, and it's one of these things where there is no absolute answer uh, just because so little, you know, the, the age of demons happened so long ago. It's back to that we don't actually know. Were the sovereign's dragons? Were they something else? Uh, you know, it's it's myth. But it was the basic idea of it was that the overlords have powers similar to God's you know, divine rank in D&D rule terms, uh, but that it was very geographically oriented, you know, that, and this is something that a lot of people sometimes say, well, these overlords seem to overlap in some ways. And some of them do, and that's fine because they're not gods. Uh, They held sway over particular regions and you could have three different overlords of war 
Uh, it just means that you have three different places in the world where those are powerful, strong forces. Um, so the idea is that in the age of demons, their influence essentially covered the entire world. As uh, they were beaten and bound, most of them were sort of bound in place. And uh, this is where we say, you know, you have most likely Solkatesh bound close to um, Arconics. And, you know, so that's where their influence is strongest, that, you know, you have these places, uh, Mazviric in Kabara, that sort of thing. The idea of the demon wastes is both that there are multiple overlords bound there, uh, but also just saying that this is in some ways you could call it the mouth of Kyber, that, you know, this is such an area of such intense connection uh, to Kyber that um, they, you know, that its influence couldn't be completely contained, that even with the overlords bound, uh, you couldn't completely abolish sort of the evil of this place. And that is the idea that the labyrinth does have some sort of ancient epic magics woven into it by the dragons in the Kuatl that we don't really understand um, and we couldn't replicate today. But this is this whole thing of why do the demons have to go through the labyrinth instead of just hopping on a boat? It's because there's ancient powers there, you know, that are beyond what, what we really understand. So it is that idea that this is sort of the last lingering stronghold of once the entire world was like this and once, you know, it could be again, uh, but that also it represents these sort of ancient epic powers that are essentially beyond modern understanding still. I think that's quite important. I think personally to why I think that the demon always sought to exist is that it gives you that, um, reason or signpost of why that ancient history, why that mm -hmm. um, conflict between the quartals and the dragons and the demons, why it still matters to the modern age. Um, and mm -hmm. I, th I think that's something that everyone tends to do really well is, is, you know, there's always that question is why does my character or why does my story care about what happened tens of thousands, millions of years ago? And the demon waste is proof that it it still can. Um, and it serves as that kind of microcosm of that conflict that's still ongoing because we still have the influence of, say, the Coatl in mm -hmm. the, the 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 binding flame in the Gashkala, or we still have um remnants of demon civilization, you know, the, the ruins and the cities and so on. So you can go and see it. You can see what the demon, uh, the age of demons was like. And that can serve as a, as a warning as well. Perhaps if all your plans go wrong and the Lords of Dust win, well, that's, that's game over. That's, that's, that's where the world is headed. No, I think that's really important. And I think that's exactly it is, is a lot of people sometimes one of the things I've heard quite a bit about Eberron is, oh, but it doesn't really have a high level play, does it? Because, you know, you don't have all these powerful uh, NPCs. And one of the points is that the you know people 
don't know much about it. The people are concerned with the last war and the Cold War and the next war. But it is that point that under all of the other lesser conflicts of Eberron, you have this ongoing struggle between the Lords of Dust and the Dragons of Arganesson. And that this is a Cold War between epic supernatural forces that has been playing out for tens of thousands of years. And that most humans simply don't know enough to even realize is an, is a thing. Um, and, and that the demon waste, as you said, is that reminder. It's, it's that whenever you think, Oh, humanity or, you know, elfinity, whatever you want to call it, uh, is the, the biggest kid on the block. Well, just, you know, go visit Ashtakala and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll convince you that's not the case. <laughs> Why don't we do this? Why don't we start diving into some specific location? Sure. We've, we've said a bunch of things and, and some of the newer listeners might be like, I don't know what you've just said. So <laughs> right. why, don't we, uh, why don't we do a flyby of, uh, of this area and uh, let's dive a little deeper in and then we'll tell you a little bit more about the people there. Mm-hmm. So let's start with, uh, let's start with the, the wastes in general. What do they look like? What are, we, what are you, you going to be doing? What are you going to be stepping on as soon as you, you pass those mountains? Well, I think actually I'd, I'd love to start with the mountains. Uh, and this is the point of if, if you are going to the Demon Wastes, you're going through the Towering Wood, which is vast and verdant and, uh, you know, or coming north from Andere, and then you hit uh, the mountains, you know, known as the Labyrinth, and that it is this vast series of, of uh, you know, this maze of canyons, and the idea is that when you get beyond that, it is both blasted, barren, and deeply unnatural. And so on the one hand, it's hostile, but on the other hand, it's hostile in ways that literally are not natural, that you can have plant life, you know, strange molds or oozes or things that just can't exist anywhere else. You know, if there are plants, they're probably carnivorous. And you might say, oh, but there's not enough meat around here for them to survive. Oh, well, they don't need it until they do. You know, that that it is a place that is fundamentally supernatural in nature. Um, a secondary aspect of this that we will touch on, I'm sure, uh, in more detail later, is that idea that there are many portals to different demiplanes of Kyber here. And so that is also the point of it's not just one solid environment type. Uh, because in general, we say, oh, it's sort of blasted in stone and desert and hot. But anywhere you're getting one of these uh, Kyber portals, you can have a literally, you can just say, oh, well, this goes to the Ironlands and there is literally a one square mile stretch that is made out of rusted iron, you know, because it's around that gateway. And that's the biggest thing I would say to anyone planning their trip is, yes, on the, the general point, it is it is just blasted and inhospitable. But beyond that, it can be deeply supernatural and, you know, that it literally is a nightmare. I think that's one of the things that's very hard to convey uh, without reading further. But when you look at a map, you're just like, 
okay, it just looks like barren wasteland uh, right. to this ice area. And, um, and we forget about the fact that this is this is a battlefield that's being layered with supernatural and magical effects. Um, you know, you can look at the labyrinth and be like, oh, right. that doesn't look too bad. No, and, and that's exactly why, as I said, I feel what it wants is is a closer treatment. You know, if I was to write something for the DMs Guild, I would want to give very concrete examples of these are places you could find. You know, like I said, let's have that uh, that mile of rusted, jagged, you know, uh, iron surrounding the gate to the Ironlands. And let's talk about, you know, the weather there should be, oh, we'll have a storm of blood-sucking locusts or, you know, chasmy or what have you. Because that is, again, the point of not just do we have strange beasts. This is a place where actual literal demons and devils are coming out of Kyber and just roaming around uh, because they're just part of the environment here. And so it is extremely hostile, but in a very unnatural way. And I think that so, that um, thinking about in terms of hazards of the environment, um, I feel like the, the the fiends wandering around, as, as you were saying, are part of that hostile environment. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about, you know that that they're, they're, they're sort of Eberron's native immortals, so oh, yeah. they don't think or uh, feel in the same way that the mortals do. You know, they they have a purpose, and that purpose is to make the demon wastes a hostile place. I suppose that that's exactly right, and and that's the point is that one of the key differences between the demon wastes and the Mornland. You know, again, I have that whole article about it, but. The Mornland is new. The Mornland is taking a realm that was a human realm and just dropping a lot of strange stuff on it. But also it doesn't have a purpose if, if it is. And, you know, it's just, it's strange. The Demon Wastes is ancient, was never occupied by humanity. And beyond that, it is literally evil. You know, it is not just hostile because, oh, it's too hot or anything like that. It's hostile because it embodies uh, nightmares. And and that's exactly the point of those fiends is, you know, some of them have a little more going on, like very notably the Lords of Dust. But some of them are literally just there to be embodiments of horror, you know, or the the demon that's just wandering around breaking people's bodies and eating them. That's all it exists for, <laughs> you know, is to be that that terrifying thing. And uh, the this ties back to some of that general point of immortals as really just kind of symbols. It doesn't have to make any sense. This thing doesn't have to have any aspirations. The Barrel Girl uh, just wants to to is is waiting for mortals to come around so it can break you into tiny pieces and and spread you across the landscape. Grim. We, we have a, we 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 have a new uh, we have a new challenge now for for the, for the demon wastes, um, the demons that come come and break you. <laughs> yep. Um, moving actually, just to move past the mountains because sure, I, I really honestly feel this is the most interesting part and the part that I did not understand them. That mm-hmm. I did not understand at all. Let's talk about the labyrinth. Let's talk about 
what is it? Why why does it do what it do, does? And and in so, your words, what's the, what's the purpose? <laughs> so so the labyrinth is a network of ancient canyons, but the idea is that it is not natural. That it was most likely shaped by the coatl. Um, that again, there is some kind of ancient epic magic that allows this passage through it. Essentially, they decided for whatever reason, either they couldn't entirely seal it off or they wanted, you know, they felt they needed to have a passage through. And so it is a literal maze that the idea is, you know, there are a couple of, of passages, but you can wander in it and get lost and there's dead ends and there's things like that. Uh, but that also since the age of demons, you have it inhabited by the Gashkala, the ghost guardians who began as an order of orcs um, placed there to keep bad things from coming out. And so part of what I've said is to me, I very much see this as a sort of Petra situation that it's not like the Gashkala are just camped out in the middle of a canyon. It's that there are ancient fortresses carved into the walls of the canyons. And that, again, they have been guarding these places for tens of thousands of years. That, you know, these are fortifications most likely built by the Coatl themselves and then guarded by uh, the guardians, you know, for thousands of years. So the basic idea of it is it is possible that some rakshasa can simply, they found ways to teleport, they found ways to get out, but in general, just those random fiends we were just talking about, just the random Barogura, if it wants to leave, it has to go through the labyrinth. It can't just fly over, it can't swim around. Uh, that it's like, think of it like an invisible fence uh, that you've got for your dog. Where, you know, to the, the person passing by, it looks like they could go anywhere. But in fact, there's only one path out that won't shock them. Um, so the threats are certainly, this is just where any random fiend would be channeled if it tries to leave. But also then you have the carrion tribes, which I'm sure we'll talk about more in a minute. But, you know, the humanoids who dwell here and have been shaped and corrupted by the fiends occasionally do sort of swarm through and try to uh, to raid beyond. And, and so basically it is the role of the Gashkala to guard these paths uh, and to both fight the things that are always, again, remember demons are immortal. You kill the borrowed girl and will be... And trouble saying that word he'll be back again in a week trying to get out again um so they're constantly fighting fiends and then at the same time if anyone wants to go in and comes in that way they're also going to be checking you and basically saying why do you want to do this understand that if you come back and we think you've been corrupted by the forces we aren't going to let you out so I think that's a really good. Um, I think that's a really good summary because you know, again, some of the only times that we may be exposed to this or a new player is exposed to this is to look at a map and right. 
we forget that a map is not a supernatural thing. It's just someone, here's the true civis uh, uh, right. <laughs> map of the world. Um, and it's like, yeah, well, I've been here. This is exactly what it looks like. And not understanding that there's, like you said, there's a there's an invisible fence there. Well, and, um, and this this comes back actually to a point that that came up earlier about the uh, the threat of the age of demons. And this is sort of one of the things that we're used to the idea that oh, the lords of dust they're so subtle, they're very sneaky. Um, you know, there's no real ongoing threat. And the point is, there's no real ongoing threat because the Gashkalaf fight anything that tries to get out. But that there is a constant stream of random fiends that are just literally every day, you know, a couple of them are going to try and go through the labyrinth. And if the Gashkalab were not there, they would be terrorizing the Eldine Reaches and uh, the Towering Wood. And so it's back to that point that there is an ongoing conflict. Most people just don't know about. So I guess moving on from there, we've got a, a few more areas. I mean, we've talked mm-hmm. a little bit about, about Kyber. Obviously, this is where this is where Kyber kind of spits everything out. Um, right. And we'll talk about the um, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit in a sec. But the other point that I think everybody kind of likes to use, and at mm-hmm. least the, that I've seen and people talk about, is the layer of the keeper. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a Dracolich sitting there who says he or she or it is. The keeper, mm-hmm. the, the 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 deity uh, of the Dark Six, and um, that's always really really cool. I mean, it's a nice adventure. I think that's been covered actually in a few different places where people have actually said, "Oh, this is this, and this is this is what's going on." Um, or someone says, you know, someone used the keeper blade, uh, uh, keeper's fang on somebody. I need to go retrieve them. Um, and they're you know, they're still not annihilated. It's it's somewhere in there now. And, and that's exactly the point of that was something we decided right from the start when we created the, uh, the item, the Keeper's Fang. And that, that is the point of normally you go to Dolor when you die. And we made this item where the whole point is what it does is sends you to this place, you know, or traps your soul in this place. And this is the whole thing of is that Dracolich the Keeper? Uh, there's a couple different ways of looking at it. Uh, it's been named in other places as Mzirilix. And a common theory is that it is a is the first Dracolich, that it basically was a champion of the Age of Demons who bargained with um, Katashka, the, the gatekeeper, one of the overlords of Undeath. And, you know, of course, the second flip around on that is, yeah, but we think it's possible all the sovereigns were draconic champions from the Age of Demons. So it could still be the keeper. Like it could be both Mazirilix, the the Dracolich, and the Keeper. Um, but regardless, it sort of comes to that point of whether it's the Keeper or not. It is an ancient Dracolich that when you kill people with Keeper's fangs, their souls get trapped in its lair. You know, so does it really matter at the end of the day uh, what the actual truth is? Because for all practical purposes you're still going into a land of demons to bargain with this ancient creature who has the souls of your friends. Um, I, think matters, I think it matters to anybody who is, who sits there like me and goes, I want to know the truth and I want to know all the conspiracy theories. <laughs> well, and, and this is the point is if we want to get into conspiracy theories, the conspiracy theory would argue, Oh, there is no keeper. 
this is the closest you get. This is the thing that inspired the legends of the keeper. And the, the actual keeper is just something people made up. Uh, the, you know, and then on the other side of that, you're like, Oh no, no, there's totally actually a keeper. And this is just essentially like a, a mini avatar, you know, of them. So you, you can take it, uh, either way. Imogen. Yeah. I just want to highlight how, um, useful. I think the layer of the keeper is as a DM, if you want to hook in your players backstories. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, you you can pull in all kinds of tropes here. You could have what you were saying, for example, the conspiracy, uh, thing could be applied. Maybe some figure from the conspiracy or from history knows something and you can go and ask them, um, Mm -hmm. where, you know, usually they might be dead or on dollar, which may be um, more inaccessible. Or, well, and the trick with dollar is that people don't last long there. Right. Which is why places like Galera the Keeper are so important for, for what you're talking about. Yeah. So if, if you want to talk to, you know, Galifar the First, mm-hmm. um, it turns out you find out in some ancient scroll or something, I don't know, that his soul was preserved. Um, and then you could, that's a, a great hook into to building in other areas, other eras of, of Eberron's history other than the Age of Demons and kind of wrap that up in a nice package. And, and for anyone who's thinking of telling that story, I will just jump in and say uh, one of your friends there is the uh, Restful Watch, uh, which is a cult of uh, a sect of the Sovereign Host that specifically worships Orion and the Keeper. Uh, they do funeral rites, and they specifically say, oh, the Keeper saves certain souls when directed to by Orion so that they can be returned. And so basically with that in mind, that's where you could either find the such a scroll in their records or even have a priest of the Restful Watch coming to the players saying, by the way, I should let you know, according to our records, the soul of Galifar one, you know, the first was preserved in this way, and it is your destiny to recover him. You know, so I mean, they sort of exist for the purpose of directing people to go to the lair of the keeper. I, I think what uh, I think what Keith and Imogen are saying here is that if you're a player character in their game and you have any surviving relatives, prepare <laughs> to go there. <laughs> one of them is going to be stabbed by a blade, <laughs> a keeper's keeper's bag, and you're going to have to go rescue them. That's that's yeah. that's all I'm saying. It's the ultimate revenge story. <laughs> There you go. You know, this is this is why all character backstories have no living relatives. <laughs> but it is it is a good point that you know it comes to that thing of it is one of the most concrete reasons to go to the demon wastes is because you want to deal with the lair of the keeper. That many of the other reasons uh, really lean high level um, of you're going there because you are going to have a confrontation with the Prakutu of the Lords of Dust or, you know, something particularly epic like that. Uh, whereas wanting to recover something from the Lair of the Keeper sort of could happen at any point, you know, in your career. So you just said Lords of Dust. So let's talk about yeah. Ashtakala. <laughs> yes. 
You know, I'm going to – a quick sidebar. I don't think I've ever actually pronounced so many things from the Everon campaign setting <laughs> being, being on this podcast. No, and it's it's important to note because some people say where do names like that come from? So we have Ashtakala is how I say it. And I will say that part of why we have a name like that is because it is the primary city of the Raksh, uh, you know, the Rakshasa. And so again, we we sort of wanted something that's that's multiple syllables. Get your you know your s's and your k's in there, uh, you know something that has a similar sound, even though of course departing from the actual terrestrial origins of uh, you know rakshasa. Um, so ashtakala, part of the point there is just saying that the demon wastes in general are one of the most prolific sources of ruins of the age of demons. And that this is where, you know, in the rest of the world, just because civilization has built up, you know, you can find a few things like in Kabara in other places, but in most places they'd either have been destroyed if it was possible to destroy them or overgrown or, or basically people would have built on top of them. And in the demon wastes is where they have still been left essentially untouched. Uh, and of these, Ashtakala is the one that is basically the most still intact inhabited. And it is essentially, you know, this is the, the castle of Sauron in Mordor. Uh, this is basically where the, um, you know, the bleak uh, Congress, the, the sort of council of the Lords of Dust meets to uh, to discuss their plans. And it is also, and it should be noted that they don't meet all the time or, you know, sort of constantly. It's not like they're always in session. Uh, it's a big deal when they show up there. But what you do have in particular is it's called out that Haktula, the Prakutu of Sonkatesh, um, maintains a library that that you know this is again Solkatesh is is literally the embodiment of fear of magic you know of the dark powers of magic and so this is the most ancient epic spell library in existence and that's in Ashtakala um what how we have described it you know is the reason the lords of dust are called the lords of dust is because of the idea that most of their their cities and uh, remnants of their what the age of demons was like have crumbled away. You know, they're they're ancient. And what we've said of Ashakala is that it is a ruin, but that it is a ruin that is still essentially cloaked in illusion and shadow. That it still looks like it did at the height of its power. If you walk into it, you are literally sort of drawn into this illusion uh, and you'll feel like you're, you're in a city of demons in the height of the age of demons. And I think if I recall correctly, it's even said that this illusion will go so far as to actually change your appearance. So you sort of fit in. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that it's not actually full of demons, that most of what you're seeing are just phantasms and uh, that it is this this citadel of dust. You know, we talk about high level play, and um, we talked about it earlier. Where it's just like there's nothing, there's not a lot of Eberron high level play. But I can imagine as a player character, you're walking in, and you know, player characters have access to you know, you can see through illusions and true seeing and whatnot. Walking mm -hmm. in, and for a moment being dazzled by this 
ancient, almost alien, you know, fiendish architecture, you know, spikes and whatever, and then seeing beyond that illusion and just seeing, you know, stone doesn't last for and, 10 Right. hundred thousand years and literally just seeing the bare bones of a civilization and just the dust and the the dried yeah. blood and the and whatever on the floor and, and creating that you know that choking like a choking yeah. atmosphere but and, your brain is trying to trick you to say no this is full of fiendish life right and and that's exactly the idea of it is that you go in and it just appears to be this unearthly alien marvel and again like you said when you put on your true sight goggles you're suddenly like oh no it is just this decrepit desiccated remnant but the magic of it is so powerful that it's like you are literally walking through the memories of the city itself um, one of the things I'll, I'll note is you're absolutely right. You know, this is sort of part of our point is even stone is not going to last. Uh, we do talk about in a couple of places, demon glass, which is supposed to be sort of, it looks like a form of obsidian, but we're saying this is virtually indestructible. And it is, if you're finding intact ruins, they're probably made from demon glass because like that is the only thing that would survive that long. But the point is that doesn't mean the whole building is made out of this. It means that, you know, you have these pieces where, where demon glass has held it intact, uh, but that you still have exactly the disintegrated walls, uh, you know, just things that are so worn away, you can barely tell what they, what they once were. Um, and that is in general, you know, Ashtakla, we say is still held together by that power and still inhabited. Um, but this is part of the point. When we say it's inhabited, when we say the Lords of Dust meet there, part of that idea is there's probably only a hundred fiends and residents at any given time. It's just that they are surrounded by these shadows and ghosts that are sort of, you know, they get to imagine they're back in their great, you know, height of their city. But again, it's not. It's, it's all just dwelling in memory. So we've talked a lot about, um, we've talked about these areas everybody can visit and we sort of mentioned it, but let's get a little deeper into the people that you're going to meet. And I use the mm -hmm. term people very, very lightly. <laughs> you know, we've talked about the Rakshasas and the Lord of Dust. We've talked about the Gashkala and fiends all over the place. But right. uh, why don't we get a little bit further into that? Let's let's start with the masters of the demon waste. You know, there's no particular um, government, but let's talk about the Rakshasa. Let's talk about the Lords of Dust. So... The point to me is that it is a place that is filled with fiends. And, and part of this, and jumping slightly ahead, is to say that what we've talked about in exploring Eberron is the idea of the heart domains, which are the demiplanes of Kyber that essentially are what spits out fiends. It is where the overlords regenerate when they are destroyed. And they aren't there now because they're trapped. But if they were ever released, they would reemerge from their heart domains. And so this is the point is that there are just literally these places that just spit fiends into the world. One of the things that most defines the Rakshasa is aside from the idea that they are the most numerous of the native fiends, that also they are the ones who are most driven to scheme and to try and restore the overlords that a lot of the other fiends that randomly appear 
literally are, I'm just a symbol of destruction and I'm just going to run around and destroy. Or, you know, that you have the the random uh, Merilith that it may not have grand plans or be trying to do anything. It may just be looking for people to stab a lot. Um, so the Rakshasa are sort of called out by that point that they are organized. They do have hierarchy. They do have plans and agents. You know, the Lords of Dust have these far-reaching plans across Corvair and beyond uh, where they are attempting to enact the prophetic paths that will release their overlords. And so with the Rakshasa, the main point is they are the ones most likely to have organization whether they are controlling one of the Carrion tribes, whether they are maintaining an outpost like the Library of Ashtakala, that Rakshasa will not just be randomly wandering. They are up to something. Uh, Whereas other fiends, we have said there are other fiends that can be found with the Lords of Dust, but to a large degree, other fiends that you encounter are more isolated embodiments of evil that are just going to be randomly doing some, you know, sort of personal thing. Um, Sorry. 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 I rambled rambled about. Oh yeah. I I was just, (laughs) I was thinking of adding the point you, you, you just made. And this this is the idea that um, Rakshasa, even in the demon wastes aren't random encounters. And if you find one, if you meet one, it should still be a sort of a campaign significant event. Um, so if you find one leading a carrion tribe, you may be setting up the next, you know, big bad of your campaign, or mm-hmm. you might bringing, be bringing to close a campaign that's been going for some time. Um, so and- I, I think that's where you, well, as you said, well, that's where we're drawing the line between um, the laws of dust as schemas and the demons as environmental hazards. Um, every Rakshasa matters. <sighs> the demons don't. <laughs> so, no, and I, I think that's absolutely, uh, that's a very good way to put it. And that is the point. If they are controlling a Carrion tribe, it's because they're going to use it for something sometime. You know, it's part of a plan. Uh, whereas, again, if you just have some random Baylor that's tied to a carrion tribe. It's just their crazy demon patron. And, you know, there's not necessarily a greater plan. I think that point of most of the other fiends are environmental threats is a good way uh, to look at that. And so you, oh, yeah, I'm just saying you mentioned carrion tribes. Why don't we describe that? Like, sure. This is a, this is one of those things that you're in a blasted wasteland filled with literally filled with fiends. Um, but you've got tribes of humans-ish? Humans-ish. Uh, you know, we've also called out more recently. There's certainly gnolls in, uh, among the Carrion tribes. There's the, the Saka, which are essentially tieflings shaped by the powers of the, um, the demon wastes. Um, and it is, it's back to that point of we don't generally say people are genetically evil, but certainly the Carrion tribes are humanoids who have grown up in a place that is supernaturally shaped by evil, that are bound to these demonic forces, and that know no other form of existence. 
So it is, uh, you know, I, I tend to think of, let's say, the Reavers from Firefly. That, you know, this is where we are just saying for the most part, these are people who, again, are shaped by supernatural forces. They are not necessarily demonically possessed, but they're demonically shaped. And that it is, they can't be reasoned with, uh, you know, and, and basically their main role is to make it extremely dangerous to be here. Um, I want to step back for just one moment to go back to the Rakshasa to also say one of the things people might say about the Gashkala is, well, they don't manage to keep the Rakshasa from moving around. And this is my sort of critical point of, that's right, they don't. You know, the Rakshasa have come up with ways to get through the labyrinth or around it. The point is, uh, just because they can't stop everything doesn't mean that they aren't stopping all sorts of just random savage creatures that you don't see. And uh, that even the Rakshasa, except for the very powerful ones, the Bleak Council has the power to get back and forth, but it's still not you know, they've sort of snuck their agents out and placed them places. They aren't constantly going back and forth between. Anyhow, um, carrion tribes. <laughs> the carrion. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think one thing um, with the carrion tribes that could do with probably fleshing out a little more um, is um, how do you differentiate a carrion tribe from a horde of demons? Um and I think for me, probably part of that is um, to emphasize the, well, humanity or, or mortality, Absolutely. but to Absolutely. show how it's been corrupted. Um, I, I, I completely yeah, so. agree with you. Yeah, that, that the point of the Carrion tribes is they are mortal. They aren't genetically evil. They've been shaped to be evil. And that they are an example of, of sort of how horrible this place is. And that, like you said, first of all, they're a lower level threat on one level because they are people, not demons. Uh, but second, there's a sort of tragedy to them in a way. You know, that uh, this wasn't like their choice. They just had been, you know, stuck here and shaped by these things. Um. I think it's so, even yeah. more tragic when you. I think that the law is that they they came from Salona, um, mm -hmm. fleeing the conflict there. They, you know, some land in in the, the south southwest. These folks land in the northwest on the Demon Waste Coast, and oh dear. <laughs> well, and I think the point is it comes back to your your earlier point that the demon wastes is this cautionary tale. This is what's there. And I think the carrion tribes are exactly that because they are showing you this is what will become of humanity if the overlords rise. You know, this is all that will be left. And so it is that sort of, they are a threat you can fight, but they're also a warning that this is what the world could become. With that said, I mean, we should note that in Rising from the Last War, we have also called out the fact that this is a possible path for a player character, that uh, you can definitely play in either of two directions, either the person who has escaped from this, the person raised in this, you know, horrible demon-shaped uh, 
sort of culture, but who has fought against that and is trying to, you know, sort of find your path to the light and oppose whatever grand scheme your tribe is involved in, uh, or even more strangely, uh, that you've actually emerged from that culture, you know, depending who your fiendish patron is with a sort of concept of, you know, you are fighting for a good purpose because again, the, the Lords of dust want to accomplish certain things in the prophecy. So it could be very confusing to people. If you've said I'm coming to stop the actions of an evil rogue dragon, because that is what the Lord of shadow and pain wants me to do. And everyone's like, Oh, Oh, Lord. Okay, sure. That sounds great. Um, But anyhow. So maybe that's a good uh, point to sort of segue away from what the dungeon master, how the dungeon master (laughs) is presenting the demon wastes towards, as you said, with the carrion tribes, how you Mm -hmm. can leverage that in your your player's backstory or in your player's uh, play character's culture. Um. So we have the um we have the Carrion tribes. Mm-hmm. Um we have the Gashkala, if you want a more heroic origin, perhaps for your um for your player character. Um but what about um player characters from further afield? What is the relationship between, say, um a cleric from Flamekeep or a, or a wizard mm-hmm. from Fairhaven. Um, mm-hmm. What is their relationship with the demon wastes, and, and how might you build that in, into your character? Well, I mean, it seems to me, you know, again, you've brought up those sort of concrete examples of characters from there. You know, the part of what I tend to do, like you say, the cleric of Flamekeep. Uh, I have actually played in a campaign where it was it was sort of all Silver Flame related characters, and I was playing a Gashkala Paladin and you know other characters from the thing. And part of what I was playing, uh, the attitude of was basically you people have no idea what we're actually dealing with every day. You know that that I've been on the front line of this battle that you're just sort of philosophically addressing. And so I do feel, first off, we haven't talked about it, but I do feel that there has to have been a couple of times in the history of Galifar in which there have been incursions from the demon wastes, that there have been a couple of times where the Carrion tribes have just forced their way through and that you've had these sort of hordes that have had to then be dealt with. And we never have talked about that. So that's one of those little things when like, to me, that that wizard in Ondaer should know that that is this power that, you know, is a potential threat. And you could have a history tied to that. Oh, your great grandmother was the one who actually slaughtered the, you know, the warlord of that horde when they came through. Another thing I think that is vitally important is to me... What defines the the demon wastes is that it is ancient and it is this pure epic evil. And so you can certainly have artifacts or relics from the demon wastes that are either driving a problem that you have and need to try to destroy. 
uh, or flipping it around, you have an artifact created by the Coatl. You know, this is what comes with the Gosh of, of they have these ancient treasures that were made to help fight the evil that as a character, you could either be trying to obtain or again, you might possess uh, something. I will say that the paladin I played uh, had this idea that, you know, we had a, uh, a great sword that was from the demon wastes that was that whole idea of, Oh, there's power in this that I haven't yet unlocked. And over the course of the game, you know, it's one of the vestige type items where it's going to gain power as the game goes. You may not want to just give a player, Oh, here is a, a legendary item, but there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, this is a legendary item, but it's a common power level right now as it, spills blood it will become more powerful or as you do something with it and so i think you know part of it is that point of saying you could have a character who is bound to carry an object uh you could have a character whose bloodline was cursed by the demon wastes long ago that some power left its mark on them you're the last member of your line and you have to to somehow do something with that um and I think that general point of saying it's marked you or your family in some way, even though you've never been there yet and don't have the power to right now. Any thoughts? I think I think Keith's brought up a really good point in terms of being marked by the demon wastes. We look at the, and, and this is the way I look at it. I look at the demon wastes as a place on a map, but it's really not. It's a pervasive evil, <clears throat> a scar upon Corvair, scar upon right. Eberron. Yep, yep. And, the things that come out of there should affect your life. Um, and to the, like, like we said earlier to the regular person on Corvair, the regular person in Sharn, this is so far away. What are you going to, how does that affect me? But what if your bloodline is part of it? Mm-hmm. You know, we talk mm-hmm. about sorcerer, sorcerer bloodlines and all these bloodlines. Um, we talk about curses, something that could be passed down by touch or by uh, familial, associ- familial association. Um, we talk about items. Um, you know, even <clears throat> someone went to the keeper, layer of the keeper, and stole a Kyber Dragon shard. Yeah, and that passed around, and that shard of that thing is embedded in you somehow, yep. and that causes <clears throat> an Aberrant Dragon mark. It causes it causes your bloodline. It causes explosions. W- whatever it is, um, I'm just. I'll just jump on that for for just a moment and just say, I love the idea that you are embedded with a Kyber Dragon shard that holds some ancient soul that is still trapped in it, but like. Are you going to end up being the vessel for Lazar, or uh, or do you not want to be? You know, but yeah, that I think that's fantastic. And and it's as a player character, you know, sometimes we think, oh, you know, I'm I'm Rashkala. I'm a I'm a, a tiefling. I'm from the Carrion tribes, but you can carry over the. the I can I guess you use the word taint. You can carry mm-hmm. over the 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 shadow of the demon wastes and what it represents into your character or the DM can do it for you, or you can, as a collaboration, um, you can do that. Obviously, you know, as Keith has mentioned, you know, being gosh, being a bash, gosh, paladin and being like, yeah, your, your flame is X number of years old. You know, mine is way, way older than that yep. one. You know, the, the purifying flame and people are like, well, what's going on? But there's also the, you know, my, you know, my forefathers were, or, were explorers and grandma brought back this uh grandma brought back this this thing and i wear it as an amulet and it's a 
Kyber Dragon Shard um, right. filled with, or not even filled with someone's soul, filled with part of someone's soul. Or maybe that's just no. the one that... And, and that's great. It was split. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things you could do with that. I think it's great. Um, I will will flip around to also say, and in fact, my gosh, Kalab Paladin was a half-orc in part with the idea that, oh, their father was actually a paladin from Flamekeep. And that then that was tying into, you know, because again, the Gashkala began as orcs, but it's sort of like the foreign legion. The idea is they'll take anybody who wants to go and fight with them. So you don't have to be an orc or a half orc to play a Gashkala related character or to use them in an adventure. Um, I do think there's another point, you know, where we're running short on time, uh, but it also ties to the fact that people have been trying to venture into the demon waste. People are stupid. You know, people know there's Kyber Dragon Shards there. People want to find ways to unlock this power. So you have the couple of, of little settlements, Desolate, Blood Crescent, you have House the Rash trying to sort of carve out a space there. And that, again, is something that can either be a foothold for uh, a dungeon master making an adventure that will take you there, but it could also be tied to a player character. If you are playing a Thrashk, uh, you know, half-orc, you could be saying, oh, your family, your particular family line is deeply invested in Blood Crescent. And, you know, again, they brought something back or were marked in some way. Uh, and, you know, you know your destiny is to try and, and somehow uh, go and help the people there. I, I mean, there's, there's, I think there's lots of stuff here, but uh, we are running a little short on time. And I think that we've, we've given a, a really good overview. We did talk about Gashkala a little bit in the yeah. episode as well. So let me, let me just, yeah. yeah, let me just jump three quick thoughts in of, again, talking about being marked. Uh, part of the thing, again, is always remember that this could, you know, it doesn't just have to be an item or something like that. This could be the explanation for your character's abilities. If you're playing a barbarian, you don't have to actually literally be a barbarian. You could obviously be from the Carrion tribes or something like that. But you could also just say that, oh, you have that Kyber shard embedded. And when you rage, what you're actually doing is drawing on the power of that soul in the shard. You know that it's the anger of that crystal that is the rage uh, that you're drawing on. Or if you're a sorcerer, again, it could be your bloodline is somehow carrying a power from the demon wastes. If you're a warlock, you could be bargaining with the power that's in there. That, that you know, all of these things, even if you've never been there, you could be, your character abilities could be tied to it. Yeah, it made me think when you were talking earlier about... Uh... So bringing back some kind of sword that can grow with you, that you could build a, a compelling Hexblade. Warlock yeah, with. no, absolutely. Hexblade is a perfect example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so everybody uh, ask your uh, your DM for a Demon Glass uh, <laughs> for your next campaign. I'm sure they'll say yes. Just of give course. this episode to be fine. <laughs> uh, any last thoughts, anything? Uh, no, I'm good. I, I think we've covered it. Yeah, well, I, yeah, we, we covered a little bit. I think uh, any more, and uh, Keith's going to have to write an article or a book about it. So. Well, you know, we'll have to do that sometime. <laughs> at some point, at some point. Well, listeners, thank you for listening. Um, be sure to visit our website at manifest.zone, where you can find subscription links to our show, post comments on an episode. Hey, 
leave us a review on a podcast catcher or, or podcast service. We'd love to hear from you. And you can also find links to our other social media. Please let us know what you think. So that's about it. So join us next time as we do uh, the dream of the unity of rare. Tr- okay. <laughs> Um, that wasn't me, but we will be talking about Reardra next episode. So <laughs> until next time, keep exploring.